Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 12 of They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Millions of people worldwide hand over money every week to be in with a chance of winning the lottery. The odds aren't stacked in your favour, but you pay anyway. Maybe for a minute your mind drifts to a place where you've won. You imagine what you would do with your millions, what you would buy, family and friends you would treat, how much your life would be improved. Teenage lottery winner Michael Carroll's fall was almost as fast as his rise after he won £10 million. His life spiralled into utter chaos, drugs, violence and murder within his family. Saturday, November 2nd, 2002. Mikey Carroll and his girlfriend Sandra, who was eight months pregnant, went to a local corner shop called Clark's in Downham Market, Norfolk. Mikey did something he hadn't done before. He bought two Lucky Dip lottery tickets. He gave one to Sandra and he kept the other for himself. They went food shopping in King's Lynn. They were cautious with what they spent. Sandra's only income came from her benefits, and Mikey was a part-time binman that was only called in to help when permanent members of staff were sick or on leave. He too also claimed benefits. Later, Sandra returned to a council flat in Downham Market, and Mikey went back to his Aunt Kelly's and Uncle Stephen's where he had been living with them and their children. That evening, Mikey was on babysitting duties while his aunt and uncle went out. Later that night when they arrived home, 
Mikey was trying to figure out how to tune into teletext so he could check the lottery numbers against his ticket. Mikey couldn't work it out, so his Aunt Kelly did it for him. She read the numbers aloud. 5, 28, 32, 39, 42, 48. He picked them all. His Aunt Kelly was convinced it was a prank when he said he had all six numbers. Mikey was too tongue-tied to call his girlfriend Sandra, so his aunt made the call. Then she called Mikey's mother, then Camelot, the company who operate the lottery, to confirm the jackpot. It was £9,736,131. He was the only winner. The windfall was now his. He was a millionaire. They said a Camelot representative would visit in the morning. Everyone came straight over to the bungalow to toast the win that evening and Mikey stashed the ticket in a cabinet overnight but he couldn't stop himself continually checking it was still there. Michael Carroll's life up to this point had been rocky. His mother Kim was a teenager working in a factory when she met Andrew Carroll, an RAF engineer at RAF Winton in Cambridgeshire. They had three children, Zoe in 1980, Charlene in 1982, and Michael, the youngest, in 1983. According to Mikey, his father was sentenced to 11 years in military prison when he was 18 months old. Andrew Carroll got into a physical altercation with a Navy officer, Ian Warnicky, at an RAF toga dance and didn't leave the fight in the dance hall. When Ian went home with an RAF servicewoman called Jackie McNally, Andrew followed them home. According to Mikey's mother, the husband was jealous because he went to the party with Jackie, despite being married. Andrew knocked on the door, but they wouldn't let him in, so he forced his way into the home and stabbed them both before fleeing the scene. Believing their pair to be dead, he called the military police anonymously. Thankfully, both Ian and Jackie were still alive, but multiple wounds meant that Ian's spleen had to be removed and Jackie had suffered nine stab wounds. Andrew Carroll returned home but didn't retire to bed straight away as he burned his bloody clothes in the indoor solid fuel burner. When his victims were able to speak several days later, Andrew was arrested. When he was released, he returned to his family, but things had changed. They hadn't been able to live on the army base since the attempted murder and his wife had to return to a job at the canning factory. Now he was at home, he followed suit and got a job in the factory too. Mikey's parents officially separated after his father decided to move to Swindon for a job, leaving his family behind. Initially visits back home to his family were regular, but with time they became less frequent. Just three years later, Andrew Carroll at only 34 years old, suffered a fatal heart attack while playing golf. Mikey put his father on a pedestal and a dedication in his book reads to the greatest man that ever lived. Mikey had three stepfathers throughout his childhood, but he claimed one was far worse than the others. This man would slap him hard and locked him in his bedroom for hours at a time. He admits he was a difficult child, it was suspected he had attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and dyslexia, which wasn't diagnosed until later when he was already in the prison system. These hurdles were paired with a violent temper. 
He got into trouble in school, throwing a chair at a teacher, and he got into more trouble out of school as well. At 13, the family moved to Magdalen Village in Kings Lynn, Norfolk. In February 1997, at almost 14 years old, Mikey had a court appearance at West Norfolk Juvenile Court. The charge was burglary and theft. He pleaded guilty and received a conditional discharge and a fine, but this was only the start of his criminal activities. He often skipped school as he didn't make friends there, so he spent most of his school days shoplifting and drinking. Shoplifting progressed to stealing cars which he would dump on the side of the road after joyriding them around the countryside. When he left school, he worked for short periods in factories to save up to go on holidays abroad with his family. On a number of occasions, his grandparents also went away with them, but Mikey managed to burn those bridges after repeatedly getting too drunk. Contact with his grandmother and grandfather fizzled out after they got home from the second holiday. They were foster parents and didn't think their grandson would be a good influence on the children in their care. Unsurprisingly, Mikey was arrested again and appeared in court during early November 2001 to face driving-related charges. He received a small fine and even though he didn't have a provisional driving licence, he received a ban from driving for 18 months. Just over a month later, when he was caught again, he wouldn't get off so lightly. The charges stacked up. In total, 10 different charges, ranging from aggravated vehicle taking to resisting arrest. He was sentenced to prison, serving two months of a four-month sentence in youth custody. An unexpected perk of his time there was the help with dyslexia in classes. When he was released, he lived at a bandstand in a park, where he would spend his days drinking special brew, a very strong and relatively cheap lager. If the weather was bad, he would take his sleeping bag and along with a friend sleep in an outhouse of an abandoned hospital. His aunt Kelly would feed him and wash his clothes. She also offered him a place to stay, but he refused. It wasn't long before the cycle started again. He appeared in court twice over the next few months on similar charges as before, relating to car theft and resisting arrest. He received community service, a small fine and a curfew order with an electronic tag for 42 days. He needed to live somewhere with a phone line that could pick up the signal on the tag, so he finally moved in with his Aunt Kelly. Before his next arrest on October 18, 2002, he worked the graveyard shift for a short time at an onion factory. His charge this time was criminal damage. He threw a piece of gravel at the windscreen of a bus with 15 children on board. The electronic tag was put back on and two weeks later, Michael Carroll won the lottery. Mikey Carroll made the decision to go public with his winnings. He was picked up in a Mercedes to go to Birmingham for a press conference to pose in the obligatory photograph holding a gigantic cheque. He was a teenage millionaire, even though he didn't even have a bank account to put the money in. He had to make sure he got home in time for his 6pm curfew as he was still wearing an electronic tag. Now he posed for photos wearing a large gold sovereign ring and a white Nike baseball cap. His appearance, his criminal history and his age caused disdain by many people in Britain. Some believe with his track record he shouldn't have been allowed to participate in the lottery. 
a police officer present at the photo shoot remarked, Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humour. Camelot introduced him to Coots, which is said to be the bank used by the British royal family. Perhaps Mikey's criminal history shaped their decision not to take his business, so he opted for St James's Place Bank. Mikey told the press the lottery win means a new start. He said, I was like any other normal teenager and made a few mistakes, but that's all changed. Now it won't happen again. He went on to say that he wanted to buy a three-bedroom house with a swimming pool that was near a lake so he could go fishing. Mikey Carroll was a tabloid newspaper's dream. He was dubbed Lotto Lout and King of the Chavs. For those of you that don't know what a chav is, it's a derogatory slang term for a young poor person that exhibits loutish behaviour and has a preference for wearing sportswear. There was never a dull moment as the press camped outside his aunt's home. He had to move. When his ankle tag was removed, Mikey moved with Sandra to a £45 a week council flat on the Oak Circle estate while they figured out what they were going to do next. They bought a house called The Grange, 15 miles away in the quiet market town of Swatham in Norfolk. It cost £320,000. Construction work was carried out almost straight away to add a building for a swimming pool, a hot tub, and other refurbishments which cost an additional £400,000. Mikey also purchased an adjoining field. The house was filled with brand new furniture and everything was set up for the arrival of their daughter Brooke on December 30th, 2002. It was a difficult birth, so Sandra and the baby were in the hospital over the new year while Mikey took the opportunity to have a big party at the new property. When Sandra and Brooke came home a few days later, she was upset to see some of the furniture had already been damaged during the festivities. With a new baby and a considerable lottery win, the pressure wore on the couple. But even so, they got married at a registry office in Kings Lynn on March 28, 2003, and it appeared like the newlyweds had settled down. Would Mikey just spend his time fishing on a lake like he said he would? No. Letters began arriving at the house from the public asking for money. Camelot often tells all winners not to read them, but in the end, curiosity got the better of Mikey. Some simply asked for money, but a few stuck out as they mentioned threats to his Aunt Kelly and her children if Mikey didn't give them cash. It was concerning, but not a threat he took seriously, until one morning when he got up and discovered the five Rottweilers guarding the property had had their throats slit in the night. Later, a vet confirmed the animals had been drugged first. Mikey claimed he went to the police, but he said they apparently didn't have enough proof, so nothing was done. Along with her daughter Brooke, Sandra returned to a native Northern Ireland to be with her family as she feared for her safety. She had been married to Mikey for only three weeks. He received threatening calls to his mobile, so he also reported this to the police. Worried for his family members, Mikey arranged a money drop. He took £50,000 to a meeting point near a motorway and handed it over. By the time he got home, there was another call requesting more money and he parted with another £30,000 in cash. His judgement could have been clouded at this point. 
He had experimented with drugs before, but usually only drink. Now he could afford drugs enough for him and enough for his friends. All night parties were not unusual. One kilogram of cocaine was passed around on a mirror. The parties and the noise hadn't gone unnoticed. All nighters were followed by days of racing loud banger cars around his field and the noise disturbed the local village. Mikey Carroll and his friends were a nuisance to the neighbours. His dependence on drugs and alcohol was out of control and he would soon add crack to that mix. He said the blackmail calls started up again so he left the Grange for a while while him and his friends moved somewhere new every few nights. The calls eventually stopped and Mikey returned home with his friends. In 2003, Mikey's aunt Kelly and uncle Stephen separated after a family holiday in Jamaica. Mikey had given them £1 million. He bought their home, paid off their debts and had some left over in the bank. When they came into their windfall, Stephen quit working and turned to drink. Kelly, being more sensible, had kept one of her jobs. When they separated, Stephen froze their joint bank account and stayed in the house they had bought, while Kelly left with the children to stay in their holiday caravan until she could figure out what to do next. Mikey had only seen Stephen, not his aunt Kelly, his mother's sister, since their return from Jamaica. Stephen said the separation was caused by Kelly having an affair. Many months later, when Mikey finally saw his aunt, she said it wasn't true. Around this time, due to the amount of press the lottery binman received, the Department of Work and Pensions discovered that Mikey Carroll failed to declare all of his working hours while temping as a binman, so he was taken to court and fined. Mikey Carroll was hemorrhaging money. His TV and other electronics would frequently get stolen or smashed by friends and hangers-on attending his parties. He spent large sums of money on sex workers and thousands of pounds on drugs each day. He had a taste for gold jewellery and wore multiple extra-thick gold chains and rings. These often disappeared along with his electronics but were quickly replaced. A black van painted with a female silhouette and the words King of Chavs emblazoned on the side was his preferred vehicle for a while. He owned countless top-of-the-range cars along with bangers for his demolition derby. Mikey had invested £1 million in Rangers, his favourite football team, and rumours started circulating that he had buddied up with Johnny Adair, a convicted loyalist terrorist. Papers reported that he gave him £100,000. However, Mikey Carroll denied any money had changed hands and they just spoke about their mutual love of Rangers Football Club. Short on cash, he started to withdraw funds from bonds that his financial advisor had invested in on Mikey's behalf. They were one of the only things making Mikey money, and his advisor pleaded with him to keep them to secure his future, but he was regularly taking out thousands of pounds at a time. The parties continued, and one night, between racing banger cars in the field behind his house and drinking and taking drugs, Mikey burnt out a van in his back garden, which meant the fire service had to be called as the mayhem carried on around them. Some press were present and filmed his friends, who took the opportunity to show off their guns. Mikey's sister played down their antics as lads having fun. Just a normal lad, really. He does what normal lads do, plays with bikes. Later that evening, they set off thousands of pounds in fireworks, frustrating their neighbours even more. 
Mikey thought they were overreacting. What would you say to the neighbours who say you're making their life hell? They chat Why the f do they move beside a banger edge and track about 100 yards down the road? That's more loud than my field and live beside an A47. You know what I mean? I'm on there about three times a week, from three times a month. A local resident was asked if he thought Mikey Carroll should have been allowed to win so much money. At the time, you think, well, if you know, you pay your money, you, you're entitled to win the same as anyone else. And uh, hindsight, I'd say no. Another resident was asked about the constant noise. All you could hear was thump, 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 going over that hill. It was bloody dreadful. Mikey Carroll put in an offer to fund the village's Christmas lights, but the gesture was declined. A hotline was set up exclusively to report incidents caused by Mikey and his friends at the Grange. Police raided the property on December 18, 2003, and in no stank to hide or disguise the drugs in the house, 19.7 grams of cocaine, 20 grams of cannabis resin, and 9 grams of herbal cannabis was discovered. The court date was set for February 10th, though sentencing was delayed until March 23rd, until the court had received a report from the probation service. As Mikey arrived at court, the press were already waiting. He greeted them in what had become his trademark gesture, sticking his middle finger up. Camelot, who ran the lottery, offered Mikey counselling, but he wasn't keen to take up the offer. One of their counsellors briefly spoke to the press. I think it gives Michael an opportunity to um, put things right and, and move forward. During the court proceedings, a magistrate addressed Michael Carroll. She said, Because of the seriousness of your charges, especially the cocaine and the fact you are a persistent offender, this rather puts us into thinking about custody. So we need to know more about you. So we are going to ask the probation service to do a pre-sentencing report. Mikey's defence counsel, Neil Meacham, described some of Mikey's turbulent home life to the court. However much money one has or one acquires, and it is no secret that Mr Carroll has some good fortune, it does not necessarily buy you happiness, and he has had a number of problems of late. One has been a domestic situation in relation to his marital situation. He has been very low indeed in relation to the matter. He has a young child, and he and his wife have separated and it causes him some disquiet. In the end, the magistrate chose a drug treatment order, and Mikey was given a fine for not paying his bail. The locals thought he would be going to prison, and they would get some respite from the noise. Disgusting, really, isn't it? <laughs> I get the impression that he's been given lots of chances already, really. Well, I'd have taken all his money off of him, and given it to a good cause. Mikey didn't participate in the drug treatment order, because it meant regular testing. So he served four months in prison. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Marky and his new girlfriend Sammy moved into the house he owned in Downham Market and her family had since moved into the Grange while he had been in jail. Mikey credited this stint in prison for making him quit crack, though he continued to abuse other drugs. In May 2004, Michael Carroll was again in trouble with the police. His girlfriend Sammy and one of her friends went to Downham Market Town Hall where a Christian rock concert was taking place. They got into a physical fight with another teenage girl outside, throwing noodles and a drink in her face. After they called Mikey, Sammy's brothers and an unknown fourth man, they also turned up armed with baseball bats and muscled their way into the alcohol-free concert, mainly occupied by teenagers. Two people were attacked, including the organiser, and Mikey Carroll, his friends and one of the girls were caught on CCTV going into the hall wielding their weapons. Other arrests and charges followed, and in 2005, while still waiting to attend court for the charge of a fray in the Village Hall incident, Mikey drove his black Mercedes, with the license plate L111OUT, into the centre of Swatham, and armed with a catapult full of ball bearings, he shot at cars and a butcher's shop, causing £3,000 worth of damage. He would go on to appear at Kings Lynn Court and received an ASBO. 245 hours of community service and a fine of £3,628 in compensation and £45 in costs. In 2005, a celebrity boxing match was organised. Mikey would face off against Mark Smith, otherwise known as Rhino, who had been on the TV series Gladiators and was a professional bodybuilder. 
Mikey went into the ring after drinking a few cans of Stella, unprepared, unfit, and now overweight. The crowd became more animated than the fight in the boxing ring. His girlfriend was involved in a ruckus in the crowd, where she kept spitting at a rhino supporter behind her. While Mikey was pummeled into what appeared to be an inevitable loss, the judges declared a draw. Mikey Carroll claimed to have quit drugs and had split up with his teenage girlfriend Sammy by the time he appeared in court on February 6, 2006, about the 2004 incident at the Christian concert. He was now in a relationship with a woman called Jodie. Other people involved in the incident at the concert were charged on different dates, and Sammy, 17, and her then 15-year-old friends received a 12-month conditional discharge. David Howard, Sammy's brother, pled guilty to a fray and handling a stolen JCB. He was sentenced to 18 months in prison. His brother Paul Howard was sentenced to six months. In what his defence called 34 seconds of foolishness, Michael Carroll was sentenced to nine months in prison. The judge Peter Jacobs remarked, he went along to exact some form of retribution. A large number of people were terrified about what went on. This sort of behaviour cannot be tolerated. While he was inside, the cogs were still turning on the outside. Mikey had met actor and comedian Keith Allen back in 2004 and he had agreed to make a documentary with him. The end product, Michael Carroll, King of the Chavs, was aired on Channel 4 in April 2006. The programme revealed contradictions both in the reports about Mikey Carroll and his persona. Keith Allen and his crew observed the noise from the A47, which adjoined the field where Mikey and his friends raced cars. He concluded the car racing didn't really add to the noise. Michael Carroll was elusive for the first half of the filming, often not turning up to arrange meetings with Keith Allen and others, like his trainer for the fight with the rhino. Worryingly, a timid and scared large black Rottweiler dog was pictured in a large concrete cage outside the Grange at the beginning of the film. The floor was covered in faeces. The crew were so concerned they informed the RSPCA. Later on the dog is filmed again, but this time the cage is cleaned and the dog is out with other dogs and seems friendly and happily playing with Sammy Howard's family, who were living there at the time. Michael Carroll played up to the cameras when the press were around, returning to the Grange from his semi-detached house in Downham Market to race cars and act the part. When asked if he wanted to get rid of the money, he said, I do and I don't. Don't get me wrong, I do because the shit that it brings and I don't because I want it for my daughter, or more for her, you know what I mean. The documentary aired while Michael Carroll was still in prison, and his new girlfriend Jodie happened to be in jail at the same time too. He wrote her poems with the help of his new agent Sean Burrow, a former pipe fitter and insurance seller turned actor and author, who had had a small amount of success in TV and film. Mikey Carroll was released from prison in June, a few days after Jodie, though their relationship didn't last. Mikey appeared on talk shows including Russell Brand's Got Issues and he made guest appearances on Channel 5 Live. In October, his book Careful What You Wish For was released, but 2006 also marked the time when his winnings had almost dried up. 
all seemed relatively quiet over the next couple of years. Mikey appeared on local news, TV and radio shows. His agent Sean Burrow tried to launch Mikey's film career and did manage to find him some minor roles. A film Jack said starring Danny Dyer in 2009 saw Mikey playing Tweedledee, bodyguard. During this time he started a relationship with hairdresser Gemma Peake and in early 2009 their daughter Faye was born. They lived in his house in Downham Market. In 2010, the low-budget British gangster film Killer Bitch was released and Michael Carroll was given a role playing a fictionalised version of himself. In May 2010, it was reported that Mikey applied for his old job as a binman, but they refused his offer, saying they were not recruiting at this time. On August 1st, Mikey was caught driving erratically, swerving across the road and over a roundabout, before finally stopping when he hit the curb in his Citroen Picasso. He shouted, Do you know who I am? to a witness who approached his car. He then followed the witness for 10 minutes before a police car pulled him over. The officer said to Mikey, Son, I think you've had too much to drink. He then retorted, Son, you're not my fucking dad. Mikey got out and urinated on his car and then collapsed. A breathalyzer showed he was nearly four times over the legal limit. A court hearing was set for September. On August 10th, Mikey and his agent Sean appeared on the local news. At odds with the application for his previous job earlier that year, Sean claims that Mikey would never have to work again when asked if his client had blown the lot. Um, He's blown most of it. I will say to you that Michael has got enough money left, which is tied up by the way, but he'll never have to work again. Finally, the Grange had a buyer. An estate agent saw the potential, but it was in a sorry state and would require extensive refurbishment. The house had been destroyed when it was occupied, and when it was left abandoned, every pane of glass was shattered and dog excrement covered the floors. The cupboards in the kitchen were ripped off the walls and smashed. The pool and its water were stained black with dirt and debris and according to Mikey, someone had tied a rope around the jacuzzi and pulled it out with a truck. It was sold at a loss of nearly £600,000. A court date for the drink driving offence rolled around mid-September and Mikey was seen arriving with Sean and a full holdall in expectation of a prison sentence. His defence barrister later said of Mikey, his life has not been a normal one, and he still suffers from an addiction to alcohol. Prior to him winning the lottery, he only smoked cannabis, but he was targeted by crack cocaine dealers, until eventually he became addicted. At its height, he was using an ounce a day, which was costing him about £2,000 every day, and these dealers simply bled him dry. He accepts he is the author of his own downfall and he has to wake up every morning knowing he has blown a golden opportunity. The party is over and he knows that. Michael Carroll was disqualified from driving for 36 months. He received a 16-week prison sentence, suspended for 12 months and was required to do 120 hours of community service. Speaking after the sentencing hearing, Mikey said, It was just a blip. His agent, Sean, was more vocal. 
He'd had a row with his, his girlfriend and uh, he knew he shouldn't have done what he did, but um, he just lost it momentarily like we all do at times. But he is really, really trying. 2011 proved to be another year where things weren't on the up for Michael Carroll. His agent, Sean Burrow, died in February. Age 57, he had finally succumbed to the cancer that he had been battling on and off for a number of years. The following month, Mikey's partner Gemma left the home they shared at Downham Market, along with their daughter. Mikey went to his preferred newspaper, The Sun, and gave them an interview about what happened. He said, I tried to hang myself at home ten days ago. I'd almost passed out when my mate found me. Then last Saturday I cut myself. It was really painful. I ended up with an ambulance and a police car coming to the house. The doctors wanted to section me in hospital, but I discharged myself and came home. I've got a mate staying now and he's looking after me. I still don't feel right, but I don't want to do anything silly again. I want to keep going for my kids. It was confirmed he was admitted to the hospital with five superficial wounds made with a craft knife. So where are we now? A couple of years later, Mikey, then 30, moved north to Scotland to be near his first daughter. He was claiming benefits until June 2013, when he gained temporary employment at a Walker shortbread factory near Elgin in Murray, Scotland. He had lost a considerable amount of weight after ballooning to 22 stone at the height of the chaos of his lottery win. He rode a pink and blue mountain bike half of the way to work and then caught the bus for the remainder of the journey. It was thought he was living in a house his ex-wife Sandra owned in Urquhart. Sandra had received £750,000 in the divorce, but Mikey said he was living in a tent in some woodland for a couple of weeks before he got the job. He told the Daily Record, I get £204 every week for packing and stacking shortbread and cookies, and I love it. I treasure those wages more than any £9 million fortune. I moved up to Scotland to be closer to my daughter and to get out of my drinking. I needed a change. Back in Norfolk, I ended up crashing on a mate's sofa, but I've got a two-bedroom council flat just outside Elgin now, so I'm well sorted. He appeared in the newspapers again in 2016. He had since found further employment in a slaughterhouse, and said he was teetotal and had been for over a year. He also went on to hand advice to David and Carol Martin, who lived in Scotland, and had gone public after winning £33 million on the lottery. His opinion was to emigrate. The last event that saw Michael Carroll in the newspapers was for a far more tragic reason. The uncle who he grew up with, his Aunt Kelly's ex-husband Stephen Muncaster was found dead from a gunshot wound. His new wife Alison had also been shot. It was realised quickly that it was 47-year-old Stephen Muncaster who was linked to Michael Carroll, but initially press reports incorrectly stated it was Mikey's aunt that had also died. Michael Carroll told the press he hadn't spoken to his uncle since 2003. It transpired that Stephen and Alison Muncaster lived in a bungalow at Wigan Hall St Mary Magdalene near Kings Lynn. The house had been partially funded by Mikey's lottery winnings. Stephen remained in the home after the divorce from Mikey's Aunt Kelly and eventually Alison moved in with Stephen. Their relationship had reached breaking point 
and Alison wanted to leave. Stephen visited his doctor and told him about feeling depressed due to his marriage breaking down, but the doctor had no indication that his patient would take his life or anyone else's. But sadly, he was wrong. Stephen Moncaster shot his wife and then himself. The incident had been filmed by CCTV cameras around the home. CCTV is key to this incident and it brought the conclusion of the investigation uh, to a close quite, quite early. Um, there is internal and external CCTV. Um, it covers a, a number of rooms within the, the bungalow um, and we have clear movements throughout the evening of Stephen and Alison uh, prior to the incident taking place. The cameras had also filmed the lead-up to the murder-suicide as Stephen Moncaster hid a shotgun under the bed he shared with his wife. In the footage, the couple can be seen in the front room. They look distressed and Stephen sometimes puts his head in his hands. He then shot his wife through the cheek, he went outside and shot himself. An inquest into Alison Moncaster's death concluded she had been unlawfully killed. After Michael Carroll had spent all of his money, he spoke to the press in 2016. He said, I've experienced more in a decade than most people would do in two lifetimes. I'm much happier now. I still buy lottery tickets and would love to win. But the money takes over and your life can become materialistic and meaningless. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. To support They Walk Among Us and receive access to ad-free episodes and other extras, just head to patreon.com forward slash theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey there, this is Erica Kelly, host of the podcast Southern Fraud True Crime. Each week, I take a look at a different Southern crime, and like any good gossip, I'm interested in anyone or anything. I cover contemporary and historical cases, and I love listener suggestions. Come join me as I explore the dark underbelly of the Deep South. I'm a one-woman show in a narrative format. Kind of like sitting by the fire and listening to a story. So pull up a chair and subscribe if you're interested. I'd love to have you. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and just about any podcast platform. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. Until then, y'all take care. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.